Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I am a believer in the perfectibility of human beings. At the circle, we can finally realize our potential. When we are our best selves, there isn't a problem that we cannot solve. We can cure any disease and we can end hunger. Imagine the human rights implications. The possibilities are endless. 
Thanks for pressing the button on another fine chat fest with the Next Real Film Board on Rashpixel.fm. It's been a long time since the first week of March, but our promise is that each month we gather a gang of thugs to take on a movie just opening in theaters and spoil it for you because transparency is an inevitable reality in the world tonight. <laughs> right? <laughs> we all watch The Circle, and I'm excited to find out what everyone here thought about the story and its black mirror reflection of technology today. My name is JJ, and joining me tonight are some choice connections from my True You account. Our host tonight, uh, welcome Steve Sarmento. Here at the next reel, sharing is caring. So that we at the next reel can share how much we care about you, our listener, we just need you to send your Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and iTunes login credentials so that we can help you to curate a personalized quality viewing list. Super gross. Super gross. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. After Snowden, I covered up the camera on my computer, and after the circle, I'm going to uncover it. (laughs) (laughs) The circle is winning. Okay, how about you, Tommy Handsome? I can see all of you right now. All of you. All of you. (laughs) And tonight we have a special guest host from the On Demand Content Universe and host of a couple series of unspoiled podcasts. Please say hello to Jamie Smith. Hello. I didn't come up with a clever thing to say. (laughs) Neither did I. (laughs) <laughs> We're all on the same team, and it's really good to have you here tonight. Can you tell us a bit about what you do over at Unspoiled? I can. I have two shows. One is called The Constant. It's about the show Lost. The other one is about Band of Brothers. It's called Undeclared Band of Brothers. They both can be found if you were to go to iTunes and search Unspoiled. We basically watch an episode and then discuss each one that we've watched each week. And one person has seen the whole thing, which is me. And my co-host, Krista. In both cases, right? Yeah, yeah. And then my co-host, Krista, has seen neither project. So it's basically a lot of her theorizing for Lost, trying to figure things out, which is kind of fun, because sometimes she's dead on and sometimes she's so wrong. And then Mm -hmm. with Band of Brothers, it's really just discussing the show. And we're also covering the book. So we talk a lot about the actual history of World War II. Cool. How did you get involved with it? I was a fan of the show. Um, nice. It was started by Natasha Kingston with her ex-husband. They started doing A Song of Ice and Fire. Okay. And that branched out to covering all that's, kinds wait, of different That's Game shows. of Thrones, right? Yeah. But they were okay, doing yeah. the books and they were doing one oh. chapter a day. And he wow. had never read it and she had read the whole thing. So it was just a sort of hobby that they did and... Now it's what she does. She's really turned this into her career, largely thanks to Patreon. Yeah, well, and that's, and you know, we kind of want to talk to you about that too, because that's something that we've just started here too. And the unspoiled Patreon account is, is super awesome to take a look there. We just started a Patreon page where our listeners can go to connect with us further and help support uh, all the different stuff that we do here. So at that page, you know, people can sign up and pay just as little as a dollar a month uh, and they become patrons of the show and, you know, keep us doing what we do here and all the different next real things there right now. Uh, we just got started there, so we only have a couple patrons but unspoiled has something like 412 patrons what do you know when she started that yes seriously she started patreon a couple years ago i'm not sure i know i've been a patron for a couple of years nice were you a patron before you started hosting i was i because i was a fan and i became a patron and there's a little exclusive patrons only facebook group so i started commenting about things in there and i became friends with natasha and over time 
like we actually became like real life friends. So when I wanted to start this podcast, I approached her to see if maybe I could do it on her network because she already had the unspoiled angle and she didn't want to cover Lost, but it's one of my favorite shows. She didn't want to cover it? No, because she ended up not loving it towards the end and I love it. So she felt like because I've got such a positive outlook on the show in general, it would be more fun for someone like me to cover it than for her to be involved with it. So I'm technically a franchise show. That was that, that's super cool, and I, I, that's one of the things that I like about the unspoiled concept too. Is that when you go to the unspoiled, you know, unspoiledpodcast.com, you can see all the different franchises and series that that are being covered and there's all different things that you can go so you can find the thing that you like similar to in a way to our show where you can find a film that you love and figure out you know go into our feed and and listen to our talk about it as well so there's there's a lot of similarities there yeah there's a there's probably something for everyone they do books or graphic novels sometimes movies if um, patrons pledge enough they can pick something for her to cover so a lot of times it'll be a movie Sometimes really bad movies like The Room (laughs) and sometimes a great movie like Goonies. Um, They did Star Wars. They always cover the Marvel movies when they come out because her boyfriend is a huge comics guy. He's got his own show about comic books. And um, I don't know. It's it's super cool. And it's such an inclusive group that if you become a patron, you get to meet all these really awesome people. It's a nice community. Yeah, and that's I guess you know that's what we're looking to start with our Patreon page as well. So if you are out there and listening, you could go and check out our new page at www.patreon.com/slash/the-next-real. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And also for a deep dive into the special intricacies of this show and its sibling shows, go to thenextreel.com. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. Maybe the solution to all these divergent social media outlets is if we just had one service that would link up everything we need to get through life <laughs> and business, and then we could require everyone to use it to connect with each other. It would be like this digital sphere that we would all be inside. Does that sound <laughs> fun? Mm, Terrifying. That's See, that's what we're talking about tonight. We want to talk about everyone's initial thoughts about the movie The Circle. Steve. Overall, I I enjoyed The Circle. Unfortunately, I think it just is several years too late for discussions (laughs) of privacy and the overreach of social media companies. I mean, that's just part of the headlines now. It's something that's, this isn't a movie that's giving people something to talk about. They're already talking about this and it didn't bring bring anything new. Um, I think it does accurately represent the demands of maintaining social profiles online, um, especially for a generation that has this tremendous fear of missing out on things. But with audiences showing up for like real quality shows on TV so much, I think this may have been better suited for the small screen to really give it some space to breathe and delve into a lot of the storylines and topics that I think were really just unexplored and underdeveloped. Well, that's interesting. So you think that it, that it's sort of missed its opportunity in in the world yes the book came out in 2013 yeah that's still kind of too late isn't it well you know if this had been then you know in 2013 i think you know maybe it's because we're sort of in the snowden era you know after that movie and then you know just a lot of things that have been in the news about you know net neutrality and personal privacy and you know your internet service providers selling off your information people are a lot more attuned to that so this just i think could have been on that 
leading edge of those discussions rather than now just sort of being another voice in the mix. I think it's interesting that we didn't get directly into security in the movie while we were talking about. So I think that's definitely something for us to talk about today. Jamie, what did you think? I thought it was good. I thought it was a terrifying, slick dystopia. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, the world we live in is becoming closer and closer to this. And I'm, I'm all about staying connected and using technology to do something good. I'm terrified of the cameras everywhere like they had in this movie and having to sign up for something and forcing you to do things like vote, which I think everybody should vote, but it is a choice. And when it got to that part in the movie, I was just like, oh my God, this is just going to give someone really bad ideas. And I think that, you know, the idea of this is kind of like Snowden on steroids when you talk about those cameras being placed literally everywhere in the film. And camouflaged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Camo cam. Tommy, what was your take? Uh, unfortunately, this movie was ultimately extremely uh, disappointing for me. I have read the book, uh, but it was a long time ago, so I won't spend too much time comparing it to the book. It started out with a lot of promise, and then it just got worse and worse and more unfocused and more scattered. I had a lot of problem with the acting. I had a lot of problem with the writing. And I don't even understand what the stance is of the movie at the end. I thought it ended up being kind of a disaster. A disaster. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's interesting. And especially since you read the book. I think the the idea about the stance or the stakes or where we're going with it is is really important. And, and I want to get into that too. Andy, how did you feel about, about that? I'm kind of on Tommy's page with this one. You know, I, it was very <laughs> frustrating for me. Yeah, it, it just, it was, I... I, you know, I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. He's my uh, my favorite, and uh, I thought he was great. I thought the rest of the cast, I, I liked the rest of the cast, but I didn't feel like they were bringing to the table anything great because I just I had so many problems with the script. It just it meandered and it didn't it, it never gave me a, an antagonist that I felt was a real antagonist. Mm-hmm. And and it just it kind of left me very frustrated. Um, I also really struggled with Emma Watson as the uh, as the protagonist in this. So um, all in all, I was extremely disappointed. Um, it was and it's it's frustrating. I think so much because it's it's such an interesting concept and such a scary scary concept. Um, that and you referenced Black Mirror earlier. I'm like this. There's like a really amazing Black Mirror episode in here that just needs to be released because it certainly wasn't uh, in this version of it. Well, I feel like they took pieces of Black Mirror and tried to apply it in different scenarios. But I, I, And I understand what you guys are saying about maybe it not taking a stance or going far enough in any particular direction with it. I, but in general, I didn't hate it. I, I, was, I was entertained by it, and I, and I kind of liked it um, in the way that um, it, only because in leading up to the film with the trailers, which I know, Steve, you don't watch, but I, I was expecting it to be a very terrifying film and and really people fearing for their lives in the film and I didn't really feel that and that's okay because that's not really the movie that I like to see in general the sort of lightness of it and the 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 the, the technology aspects, the the sort of political statement that it was making about the world today, I was comfortable with. And I felt like it gave uh, the idea of transparency its its inevitability. That's why I used that word in the intro. And, and it's due in the fact that it might be something that we can't control and that it's going to happen one way or another because someone's going to believe that the stuff is good. Um, it, what I would have liked to see more of is is people posed with the choice and what the choice meant and what the what the 
consequences were about the choice, about whether or not they were going off the grid and not. And when we had those kind of thrilling moments about with, um, with what was his name, Mercer, um, and him being kind of tried to be brought back to the circle at some point, um, you know, that, that was the, the only really sort of consequence that we were able to witness throughout the film. So let's start with the story, really. I mean, it, it, it sounds like Tommy's the only one that's read the book. Has anyone else read the book? Andy, did you read it? I haven't, no. Okay, gotcha. So I think that, it, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily for us to definitely talk about the book or how it differed, but, um, but I think that the idea for writing the book is one thing. The idea for making the movie, it might have gone a different way. Uh, it, it's, we have here in the show notes talked about the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, d- did you feel like that was actually happening in this film? I don't know if there were any good intentions in this film. Really? I feel like Tom Hanks' character, he used words that made it sound like these were great ideas and you can see the insidiousness underneath it. This character dies because they Princess Diana'd him. Yeah. And they he used this as a way to save troubled young men. Like, he just did not get the point, but twisted it to suit some other new scheme he had to control people's lives with his technology. I, I disagree. I don't see insidious intent, and that's one of my disappointments, is that he comes off with all these good things, like, okay, we see May and her parents get health coverage that's helping her dad with his MS. And we, we look at all these, these benefits of, you know, like that. He, I mean, yes, he's spinning these things. You know, if there's cameras everywhere, then, it, you know, we can reduce crime. We can reduce all of these things. I don't see what his, I don't see a darker side to him other than maybe power and greed going to his head. But yes, Mercer, that situation, tragic. And there's always the balance of something new until we figure out how to get it regulated. But I, this is my problem. I don't, there's no bad guy. There's no, and maybe that's, you know, it would have, I probably would have hated it if it was like, you know, he's the sort of hand wringing villain in the background of like, mwahaha, I've got everybody's information. I'm now going to use it for my nefarious purposes. I don't see that here. I think it's sort of the slippery slope argument of we develop technology to solve these problems. It creates new problems that sometimes we're ill-equipped and unprepared to deal with. And it didn't explore that, but I didn't see insidious purposes. Well, there's, I, I didn't get a sense that there was like an insidious purpose, so to speak, in what they were trying to achieve as far as the circle goes. But I did get a sense that they were, I don't know, they, there's a few things about like these politicians and the FBI arrest the senator and all this sort of stuff. And, and there's something with, uh, Pat Oswalt's character on the news earlier in the film that she catches um, before she's interrupted. And I'm just like, there's, there's a glimmer of something going on that seems to be, that seemed to be nefarious to me. Um, but it's, and that, that was a very frustrating element of the, of the film because I'm like, I, there's obviously something going on. There's something in these emails that they have that is going to bust these guys that, uh, you know, they don't want to be uncovered, but, uh, what is it? Who knows? Uh, you know, it, it, it just was, it left everything kind of flat and it didn't have any sense of, are they good? Or are they bad? Who knows? But Hey, all their emails are out there. I think it's leaning really hard on the idea of, what you feel about transparency versus privacy. 
that um, because uh, uh, Jamie, to go to your thing, he did say that it was to control disturbed young men. But what he was actually putting forward was some sort of a your car will stop before it goes off the bridge thing. Again, the road paved with good intentions. Ignoring the fact that the car went off the road because a drone flew in front of him. Absolutely. But if but again, he's backtracking it enough. No, I'm not saying that he's doing right. But I think that the script is assuming that we will automatically have so much worry about the idea of transparency or a lack of privacy. Uh, that we automatically know who's bad and who's not when the film itself doesn't even seem to really come down on a real side, especially by the end. I was very I confused. think that's where I'm assuming an intelligence within the film that may or may not be there because I, do, I think it's not taking a side on purpose and that's because I think that privacy or potentially the idea of social media and sharing, sharing is caring, this whole thing that we as a people are doing now to... Uh, an extreme degree doesn't is seems to be an apolitical thing right that, that that there are people who believe that sharing on on Facebook is a positive thing and there are people who believe that sharing on Facebook is a negative thing but they don't tend to be on one side of the political aisle so i think what's interesting is that the the idea like the scene that 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 compelled me the most is when may takes over the boardroom scene and she's and 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 I guess for me, I clearly felt this kind of, now we're sliding down the slippery slope. And I think that's where it was really trying to take us, especially with the montage after it of everyone talking about the positive outcomes they could have for democracy. The word they kept throwing around is democracy, how this is great for democracy. And it felt like an apolitical statement, which you could either feel positively or negatively about, but it didn't necessarily mean you were on the left or the right. I think about that in terms of something like, uh, you know, something that's less benign, like the Patriot Act, right? And in the way that people feel about the Patriot Act, how some people believe that that's taking away from privacy, but some people think we need it for security. Civil rights. The thing that I think is interesting about this film is it's taking something that's generally accepted in society now in terms of social media and all these sort of subtle community connection cues to go forward and do these things and they're really they're really not a political push of doing it it's really like a societal like join us and be part of what we're doing here uh, sort of thing and then showing us what the slippery slope is so I liked that in that it didn't necessarily fall on either side and it, and it felt more like a statement about the inevitability about it's happening and that while there are some people who will be a part of the montage saying it's a good thing there's also a way for us to be objective and look back and say you know yeah but it's also going to cause Mercer to drive off the bridge. But that was so such a broad, weird way to, for me, I'm sorry, to explain that darkness. One of the problems for me in the movie is, and I guess maybe it's on purpose, I mean, the movie lives in such a bubble, and maybe that's the point, but you never get any outside perspective apart from these, I think someone called them zings, if that's what they're called, these on-the-screen kind of things. Like, news takes place early on, and then it disappears after Mercer dies, after all this stuff, after this whole whatever happens to Tom Hanks and this stuff. Like, we never find out what the how the world is feeling about things. And it makes it a very alienating, weird, sort of just very tight, insular story that I never understood. They're talking about world-changing things, and I never felt yeah. that way. And, and I guess my take, and I, and I don't want to become an apologist for this movie, because in general, while I didn't hate it, I didn't think it was a great movie. You love but this movie. My take on, 
<laughs> but my take on that was how the the sort of the the faux feeling of being connected to everyone can also make you feel completely insulated. So I don't sure. know that, but again, I, I think I'm taking a huge leap in saying that. So I'm not, I'm not super confident in that statement. I feel like the movie would, would excuse itself using that kind of phrase. <laughs> the script right. would at risk of being rude. Yeah. I feel like there was a script and then they deleted a whole bunch of it. Where I know we're, we don't want to skip to post-production yet, but Jamie, to your, to your thoughts, it is clear that a lot of tinkering happened in this movie. You, you, don't, you don't want to skip to it, but it's clear that the movie did. <laughs> right. There is an inordinate amount of over-the-shoulder, can't-see-the-talker. It feels like May, Emma Watson, her motivations are all over the place. Like, they just turn on a dime, which doesn't yeah. make sense. It's, I think there was a lot. John Boyega disappears for most of the movie. I think there was a oh, wait, different was movie John Boyega was in this? Because <laughs> yeah. I went to see it because John Boyega was in it. I thought. He was glowering, glowering from backstage guy. You didn't see him? <laughs> I just can't. I don't understand why you cast John Boyega and you give him 10 lines. I think, I think he had a ton more. Something happened in this you, movie. You hope. You hope he did. I assume <laughs> he's so yeah. important in the book. I, I also think that they, they made a an unexplained turn with Karen Gillan's character where she's, she's in this gang of four 40. And then all of a sudden she's strung out. She's overworked. She's jealous of may with no explanation. And then she walks out of a boardroom meeting and pops up 20 minutes later when may calls her and she's in Scotland. And I was like, wait, she was on, I didn't know she had a drug problem. <laughs> I didn't know any of this. Exactly. Oh, that yeah, one became... scene where she was wearing Kleenex boxes for shoes. <laughs> That's movie shorthand right. saying she's strung out. <laughs> well, right. Well, yeah. uh, yes, I got it because her hair got very messy. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So right. I understood. Like, oh, something. She's just really overworked. I think there's. A, what, what was the running time of this movie? Does anyone know off the top of their head? I don't think it was that long. It was uh, 110 minutes. Okay, so there's a longer version of this movie clearly that exists. Well, and we look at, so the direction, uh, his, you know, he also was involved in writing the film. So there's some definite things to talk about from the script to the direction of what's going on. James Ponsolt. He has worked on uh, The Spectacular Now and uh, The End of the Tour, which was the uh, Jason Segel, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, the one based on the journalist. David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace. That's the name I was getting to. Yes. Which is, so both of those are adapted from books. However, based on my research, uh, he didn't write those scripts. So I don't know if he's getting that credit for changes that happened or if he was, you know, sort of the force behind bringing this to the screen after being successful with those two adaptations, because those two films spectacular now is, you know, again, one of my favorite Movies from the past few years. That was my first three of a kind I did featured that. It's a tremendous film for high school students to see. End of the tour. If you're a David Foster Wallace fan, you're going to love it. It may not be for everybody, but it's a solid film, with which is basically two guys in a car for the majority of the film. They're both really conversation films. Would you agree? Oh, yes, definitely. Like two people talking. Yeah. And this this yeah. was not that. No, this uh, was... The circle was not that. This no. was a jump to more of a big time 
where were his hands in the film? What did you guys see? I, you know, I don't not necessarily jump to, to cinematography when I talk about direction here, but one of the things that I noticed right away was uh, all of the moving camera work. Um, and uh, I, I usually like that a lot uh, when you see staged camera moves that they're doing there. In general, uh, some of it seemed gratuitous here. Uh, I got a little bit of uh, law and order feel like most of the time people were moving and, and we were we were tracking them as we went. But <laughs> Now's the time to cross. But the good yeah. ones I thought were really good. We talk about him because we talk about what's what in the after production stuff that came up. It, potentially, there was a lot of stuff that didn't work in the original cut of this film. I just wonder if that was a studio thing, like studio interference. I don't know. I there's just there's a lot of this that has to be missing. Well, you always wonder. It's like was it was it test audiences had issues with it, and so they went back in and and changed stuff. I mean, it's it's so frustrating trying to know exactly you know where did this start uh, that led to you know what we have now. Um, uh, other than the book, I mean, that's you know the the benefit of having something based on a book is obviously you can look at you know what's changed from the book. Uh, to what we ended up with. And, and Tommy, you're the only one who has any sense of that. I haven't seen any of the other films that James Ponsold has done, um, but I feel like what he was trying to bring to the table here was really taking that big step up and doing something that was much more expansive than his other works were, um, with a lot more characters and a lot more intrigue and everything. Um, but I just don't think he had a good handle on the story. And um, you know, my sense is he probably, you know, went back and dabbled in the script trying to change it after David Eggers had originally kind of written the script. Um, but I just don't think that they were able to, um, uh, tackle it correctly and i think it ended up with some problems well and who were all the different companies that were listed in the intro for this movie there were like eight of them weren't there there were eight i counted eight too yeah it was a it was a big old list and you know a surprise for a for a book that apparently is somewhat popular it didn't um uh you know wasn't some big studio releasing this it was kind of spread across all these little production companies um, including Abu Dhabi, like Image Nation from Abu Dhabi. So, I mean, it's it's a big international pool of uh, funds to get this thing made. It's a really Let's great see. cast. Yeah, it is. Collectively. I mean, I know Emma Watson, has, she's definitely gotten better as an actress. I've seen all the Harry Potter movies. She was not good. She acted a lot with her eyebrows and not so much with anything else. She's gotten a lot better. Um, hmm. But you've got Tom Hanks and Bill Paxton and John Boyega, who is pretty great. I've seen him in a few things. And I don't know. It feels like, why why isn't this a, a studio film? And why wasn't there more marketing for it? Right. Well, Tom, you said Abu Dhabi, like you know, you know them. Do you know? Are they, is that yeah, image? Yeah, they're just becoming so much more of a force. Got it. Uh, between that, Image Nation, Abu Dhabi, like part of uh, you know, we're seeing so much more influence from China. And then, if you had to pick another one, I would say it'd be Abu Dhabi. Um, as far as um, for China, that's why we keep having just sort of random Chinese characters sometimes in movies that have like three or four lines. Some could say that that's, but those are usually action movies. Obviously, there was money to throw with that many companies, but there was also a lot of not that much risk. The reason that I think that they didn't advertise it very much is because they knew what they had, which was unfortunately a vision that didn't come through. Why everyone signed up was because it was an indie director, a very respected indie director, going a little more known for character development, known for very sort of intimate, quiet 
conversation scenes and he was making his jump based on a beloved author, David Eggers. And it just didn't work out. And I think it unfortunately really something happened with the script. I really hope that there. I don't know if I hope or I don't hope that there's actually a really good version of this movie out there because there's so many smart people involved and it's clearly had so much tinkering in post. I just wonder. You have to think that the script was good for the, all these actors to sign on board. Like, that's, right. That's like, yeah. th- there had to be more in this script for John Boyega to read and go, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to sign on to this one because if he signed on for this, I have to question his judgment. Well, what if Hanks started? What if Hanks was the first one that signed on? Well, yeah. He probably I'm, was. You know, then that's the thing, right? If he's going to lead it, then everybody jumps on board. Well, yeah, and Tom Hanks has a Dave Eggers connection. If you remember last year's A Hologram for the King was another right. one that, you right. know, is based on a Dave Eggers novel. And that was also... Went right look, to DVD, right? Uh, no, that did have a theatrical release. And uh, looking at the the uh, company cre- company credits on that one, Tom Hanks' uh, Playtone was also a production company on that one. So I don't know if it's... I, you know, we're in speculation territory, but it's clear that it's, yeah, there's something that went, you know, catastrophically wrong uh, that this movie isn't probably what it started out to be. And I think there's, you know, with we talk about the cast, what, you know, once something like this gets going, it's you're sort of like you have to go. You know, you've, you've got all these names. You can't you're not going to get Tom Hanks back for you know how many years if you can't go at a certain time and i don't know if it was just every the stars lined up and they had to go and the script wasn't where it needed to be and they they tried to fix it as they went well one thing they did not cut up and did not switch around was their first shot last shot because they are definitely 100 percent connected oh yes <laughs> starting in the bay and and may paddling into frame with the first shot and then at the end you know leaving us with her back in the bay but surrounded with her transparent drone work um how did that hit you guys did you like that connection those bookends i don't understand the last shot you didn't i don't understand what i'm supposed to feel at the end of this movie the wrong thing one is this movie saying hooray transparency as she looks up beatifically uh into the drones and says hello there it seems like hooray she got what she wanted but that can't be the theory of the film right it's certainly not in the book but i mean it can't be that everything should be transparent or can it i mean that just feels like that's it's like a a joke version of a sci-fi film the answer is privacy. The answer is not Big Brother. The answer is not everyone having all uh, access to everything. The movie spent most of the time kind of going towards that, but then they made a big hit against that. She only said, let's go transparent in order to vaguely throw uh, Tom Hanks and Patton Oswalt under the bus. No, 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 no. She decided to, she decided to go transparent first when... Those little, you know, cameras saved her life when she went out kayaking in the bay in the middle of, well, when she went kayaking in the middle of the the pool set that um, (laughs) that set piece did not work (laughs) because that that was the big pivot for her where she seems to be doubting things. She's still maybe a little, you know, questioning this like very open transparency environment that she's gotten herself into but once those cameras save her life it's like she's dove she dove in a hundred percent like yes i support this a hundred percent because it saved my life and yes we have the incident with mercer but then she realizes this is still a tool i can use for good and i'm gonna you know pull back the curtain on these two guys and throw transparency back on them and i i think that she's still you know 
pro-transparency of, yes, the world can be a better place because there are several story points where I kept I kept questioning, is she playing this for some ultimate, you know, end game? But clearly from the end shot, no, she's not. When they're in the boardroom and she's like, no, no, we're registered voters and everybody's got these accounts. She's 110% behind this transparency. I think that's where the story ends. But then I thought she was going to have a change. I was waiting for the change to realize that she was wrong. But you think, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, but that the film believes that she won, that the, the the hero won because of this crazy transparency that... She used transparency as a tool to get what she wanted. So her hello is... But what did she want? If she's gone dark. Well, and that's the question. Jamie, why didn't you like that shot? I didn't understand what her motivation was. I thought she had decided that after they basically killed her friend and invaded her parents' lives to an extent where they, like didn't even want to talk to her that she exposed them in some way and i figured she left the company but then me too she looks at these drones like they're her little buddies yeah and i didn't get it i'm i'm glad that i'm not the only person that feels like they didn't get it in our in the show notes there was a tiny bit of the script and it was just the scene where she has that interview with tom hanks character on the stage where she decides to go transparent. It's completely different in that script. In the movie, she decides to go, she's a willing participant in going transparent. In that script, he puts a camera on her and says, and May's going to go transparent. And she did not know this was going to happen. It's what she does to them in the movie. Yeah. Which which makes more sense. It changes the tone of what the story was supposed to be if... It was forced on her instead of her being like, yeah, that's a good idea. So I I do feel like there was a different story that was being told that got originally told and then got changed in editing. So this is a story that's that's about generations. And if you look at Patton Oswalt and Tom Hanks, who are like the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and. I, I always this this is one of my filters that I just use a lot is I look at the generational differences of a generation like the baby boomers that is using technology for their own power versus millennials who have grown up with technology and see it as a tool that they can use for a variety of purposes to get things done. And I think that's that's the story that we're getting here. And I think that's something that was unexpected because technology is usually the enemy. And we have a generation here who has embrace technology grown up on iPhones and the internet and are saying basically yeah we're we're going to continue to use technology to make the world a better place and there's more benefits to be gained and social networking is is transparency and there is less uh you know there's less privacy but you know everybody keeps everything out in the open and everybody's oversharing i mean people tweet their lunches and no one cares there's all that noise out there that there's no time. I mean, we see May get overwhelmed with all this stuff. Everybody's throwing so much stuff out there. There's no time for everybody to start judging people because you're just, you're at the hamster and the the technology wheel that's spinning and spinning. But for that generation that's keeping up that pace with this ambitious goal of improving the world and technologies, their their means to do it. And I think that's what the story is trying to say. That's interesting. The one thing that I think was missing from what you just said, Steve, was you said that older people like Patton Oswalt and Tom Hanks are using it for power or nefarious means. We never get that except for that one line that seems thrown in there for the audience saying, we are so effed. 
Right. It's not based in any kind of anything that we've seen other than Patton Oswalt is like a Steve Bannon scowler. Like we ne- we don't have a bad guy. We don't have the other side. We just get an impression of him being a bad guy. Well, he does he does say, "Hey, we don't need government. Government needs us." They're trying to assert themselves as a political force now, which is, you know, I see as a big, you know, power play of, you know, corporations becoming the ultimate authority. That's true. And the hint against the senator that was investigating them, but just a hint. It's weird. And then some vague stuff that that Ty tells her when he brings her down to the sub-basements. I won't keep bringing up the book, but when Ty is revealed as Ty, this other character, it's huge in the book. And that this just sort of comes out as some weird sort of in the middle of something. It's like, why was he even... He literally seems to only exist to give Emma Watson backdoor access to crazy files at the very last second because he disappears for most of the movie. It's the only reason he still exists. We don't know that they have some sort of friendship or relationship. She just says it in a voiceover. I called Ty. Like, what? How? You have his phone number? Yeah. Where, where did that happen? When did you guys become friends? You've talked to him twice. The last time they were together, it's like was before she started going down the road of crazy. Uh, you know, I'm going to wear this camera with me all the time. Yeah. And every time after that, he's standing in the back of the room looking at her like, oh, I'm so disappointed. There was probably a truce <laughs> at the back of every auditorium <laughs> when he was like see. looking like, huh? What? See true? What was it? Trucy? See? CISO. Sea change. It's CISO. I don't think you guys are right. I'm going with me on this. <laughs> it's Sea Change because it's a Beck song and they had Beck in the movie. Right. Oh, Beck and his band. That's right. Yeah. That's super hip. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, he becomes a trope, right? Ty, because of the lack of everything that's there. Now, all of a sudden, this character that was so strong in, in such an important key part of the book all of a sudden becomes the trope, which is the magical Negro trope that uh, oh, is active even in so many different places. And it's, it's that's kind of terrible. It's really unfortunate because... We all love uh, John Boyega. Yeah, and free wanted Boyega. Wanted to see so much more from him. Exactly, free be, from the circle. He needs to be out of this mess. <laughs> yeah, free tie too. Uh, so we've talked a lot. And already we've gotten into a lot of the cast, um, but specifically we've talked about motivation. And I feel like everyone kind of let us down in this movie. Were there any performances that you guys liked? Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton was superb. He was very selfless. He was very brave in that performance. Of course, everything I'm saying is colored by his untimely death, I'm sure. I didn't know he was in this. And I he came on screen and I started to cry. I was not prepared. Well, I cried at the end when they, you know, with the with the dedication at the end for Bill. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. so touching. I love Tom Hanks in this. I mean, you know, he's so charming and easy. I mean, he was perfect as kind of the Steve Jobs on the stage character. And despite the fact that his character is is uh, nonsensical and has no reason for being an antagonist, um, he was still very easy to watch. And it was just it was a joy to see him up there. Um, you know, so that's that's the one that he, him and Bill Paxton. It was great to see the two of them. And actually, I really enjoyed seeing Glenn Headley. I, and mainly it was just because I haven't seen her in forever. So it was great to have her pop up. Those were grounding. I feel like those were grounding forces because I personally had trouble with Emma Watson in this movie. L.R. Coltrane made me very uncomfortable. John Boyega, as we said, was underused and stuff like that. It was fun every once in a while when it went back to these people and Patton Oswalt, just Scowly Magoo. I was like, oh. Even though I don't understand what's going on, I just sort of feel like I'm in safe hands right now. My biggest struggle with Emma Watson is that I, I feel like she's a she's an 
an interesting actress that carries kind of a level of intelligence that seems to be like when she was a little more skeptical of something, I believe her more. When she's buying into something, I really struggle. I just actually watched Colonia, which actually is an interesting comparison with this one because of the two kind of cult worlds that she's entered here. And it was so much easier believing her in Colonia because she is on the inside of this cult, but she's, she's you know, maintaining her presence of self and kind of you know, working to how to figure out how to get out of this particular cult. Here, you know, she's more believable in the beginning. And then when she makes that turn, it's like I I, I struggled believing her because I she always seemed skeptical to me. But she's saying, oh, yes, I'm going to be transparent and all this stuff. I'm like, I, I don't believe her. Right. And I agree with that. And I think, you know, Steve and I just reviewed uh, Colonia for uh, Trailer Rewind. And something that we talked about on that review a lot was the fact that she took that role because she wanted to do something as a strong woman. And I get the sense that she did that here, too, because she's a woman that changes the world with what she does at the circle. But I think her casting in this film is only, you know, 50% perfect in that she really portrays the reluctance of accepting power really well. It's the problem like you're talking about when she makes that turn and then all of a sudden is accepting that power. That's something that even if you talk about her performance as Hermione in Harry Potter, she's great at being reluctant about the power for so much so long, but it ne- she's never really sort of buying in. So when she buys in here, we all are so bought into the fact that she's reluctant that it's really difficult for us to take the turn with her. She never really seems to go all that way into going dark or accepting that power or or buying in or being transparent, really. So we're always still looking for the other side with her. And I think that's too bad. I kept thinking it was going to be a long con. Yeah, right. I agree yeah. with that. Like, I kept waiting for her to, like, pull the, pull the rug out. And so by the end, I was like, wait, there's no rug. What? There's just drones. That's why I was just so confused to go on what you're saying. That might be a... Not a fault, but of the idea of, and I apologize for going back to the book so much, but we see the book so much from May's perspective, we might as well have an internal dialogue. And one of the things that's so interestingly, to use Jamie's word, insidiously terrifying of the book is you see her in real time, quote unquote, change over. And why? Okay. Because the 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 idea of the road to hell paid with uh, good intentions is it just makes sense. It just makes sense. On the outside, you're like, oh, but slippery slope. If in the wrong hands, this can go other ways. But you can believe that more. Unfortunately, in the movie, for me, it felt like a whiplash change of now I believe this. Now I believe this. Yeah, and that's something that Emma Watson didn't. I don't know that she could, it. and I don't know that anybody did. I mean, really, yeah, I don't think the cast was put in a position to take us anywhere with it because they were all kind of observing this phenomenon that was the circle in the same way that we were. You did great, May. You're saving the world, May, <laughs> just like she did. <laughs> the film used a lot of ADR to make sure exactly how we were supposed to feel. And now, some of the things I did like about the cinematography in the film is that with those stage camera moves, this was the first time that I actually saw drones be used for effective uh, camera work. The move the move that I remember specifically was when we first come to the back concert scene and we come all the way from the back of the crowd, up above the crowd, down to back f- face on, and then we wrap around him. And that was a drone work. And I actually stayed through the end to see if I knew any of the drone operators. I didn't, but um, but they used drones, which I think was smart in this movie. Of course you should put that in there, right? Yeah. Although it was mm-hmm, funny yeah. because when the drones are chasing uh, Mercer, Mercer and cause him to, t- to crash, could they have looked any more digital? 
It's yeah, like they if they're going to have yeah. such great drone work, they should put real drones in the movie. And how and and how amazing would that have if they did like drone to drone camera work? Yeah, like that would have been great. I mean, that would have been something new and something special. But they did not do that. Jamie, I think you talked here about how we were close with May and uh, trying to talk about that for perspective. What did you mean by that? I felt like the camera was really close up on her a lot. Almost like before she goes transparent, almost like it was preparing us for like we're watching her and then everybody's watching her. I love that idea because it especially once she goes transparent the first time, uh, it switches to everyone's reaction to her Yeah, so much. It's very much wider. Mm hmm. Very much like uh, behind her, but instead of like, yeah, like when she walks down that hallway with uh, Star Wars Magoo, it's like we're just in her head. She can't see anything. She's confused and nervous. So we're confused and nervous. And then after that, it's just, I mean, a little bit ham fisted for me, but very hi. Hey, everyone. Hey, hi. That kind Yeah, of they use much wider shots on her later when. We not just so we could see all the little zings popping up around her, but because I feel everybody's observing her now. It's not just us as an audience, but it's the world. So it seemed like the camera loosened up on her. That's smart. I didn't think about that. That's a good. I point. like that concept a lot too. Um, when we start seeing those zings, like you're talking about, did that work for you guys in the theater? I mean, they do that on the Mindy Project. It's not new. <laughs> but that, so that's what I mean. I, I felt like it was a small screen. Like, like the thing, so especially when they started FaceTiming and I was getting the lower right part of the screen was, was someone that I was supposed to be watching in a two shot. I, I, it was super distracting for me to be able to see the two people having dialogue. Like it makes sense if I was watching my TV and I could see everything, but I was too close to my screen to be able, I had to turn my head. I mean, I don't think it works in the theater. (laughs) JJ, you're just a grumpy old man. Hey, you know. <laughs> get that noise off my screen. I think no, I, I, no, I, I like the noise, but w- when it's effective, I, I didn't think it was, yeah. I mean, I couldn't see everything that I needed to see. It and just he, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't an unexpected use of showing us tweets. Well, I, I, I like the, the volume, the volume of the tweets or, or zings or whatever they are. I mean, it's one thing when you've got like one or two, but when we're seeing them, I mean, there's so many, you can't read all of them. They're in different languages. To me, it just conveyed again, sort of the, the, oh, just how vast her following is that she's got these millions of people that are commenting on every little thing. And some of them are complete, like non sequitur disconnects of just, you know, people that just like to post things. And I thought it captured I like that. Yes. I that thought it captured that, that very well of just, you know, when she's on, she's on for a huge audience and she's got to be on all the time. And it, it doesn't, you know, you see a little bit of relief when she says goodnight, you know, it's like, okay, there's some relief that she doesn't have all of that. But to me, I liked the design of that. It carried over from, you know, the interface on her computer terminal when she's, you know, first employed at the circle and she's got to keep track of everything on those five screens, all that information that she's constantly dealing with. And then to carry that over to us, the audience of all of the, you know, zings that are, you know, coming at her throughout the day. I, I, to me, it worked well. I, with the split screen, it was I was sitting far back enough where it wasn't an issue for me. I thought it was an odd choice because it turned the screen sort of into like a phone, like you're you're FaceTiming somebody. I, you know, it, it didn't bother me. I just had it was unexpected. That made sense to me for the idea of the film. Maybe it wasn't that much fun to see in real life on a big screen. The thing about the zings, Andy, I completely agree with you about the idea. What this film really missed was her transition 
from overwhelming into drinking the Kool-Aid. This movie was tonally all over the place for me. At times, it was kind of a little satirical and a little heightened and campy. At times, it was like super melodramatic. I couldn't really uh, keep on board. But when the two um, circlers come and talk to her and are talking about her, that she's not getting involved with extracurriculars. Oop, you shouldn't call them extracurriculars. Like dousing her inside of the entire incredibly intrusive and immersive world of the circle. I loved that scene. What we needed was more time of her being underwater. Was that the couple that came up and they were uh, saying, oh, no, it's it's not it's you're not working. You're just coming and having fun. Like, yeah. Oh, they yeah. drove me nuts. I, I was so they drove me nuts. But on purpose, <laughs> I, I think I was looking for something. Well, maybe. Yeah, I was looking for something that was darker, though. And I felt like that was a weird tonal shift for me, too, because I'm like, I, I was expecting kind of this more uh interesting look at the science fiction you know the the dark nature of this and then that was like ripe for comedy the way that those two yeah, were acting I'm like point. oh my lord lady have you i tone it down i mean who comes up and talks to somebody that way it, it, was, it was very broad but i guess for me it, it was a choice yeah and it was for me it was the wrong choice fair enough and that makes <laughs> sense but there's what I I mean, she just sort of like gives a little Emma Watson devilish grin and is like, oh, I'm going to lean into this. And then a montage and she's on top of the world. The the idea of sinking under that is because that scene, while very broad and comedically acted, all the things that they're saying are actually terrifying. And that's the that's the terror that the post Facebook, that's the Black Mirror. That episode, that scene right there is a Black Mirror episode of how, actually it was, it was the one with Bryce Dallas Howard of how you, how quickly you can fall behind in things if you're not constantly, constantly, constantly sharing and upgrading. And then the film again, just sort of, she was like, she just sort of elbow greased it. And then that went away again. The film brings up a lot of questions and it doesn't really get into any of them. So did, was there any time that you guys noticed the transition? Because it sounds like in general, it, it the, the transition wasn't highlighted for us to, a lot in when she was either resistant or transparent, I guess, or embracing it. So was there a part where you noticed that she made an actual shift? It was actually very highlighted for me because it happened in a second. Which second? Every time. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, every time there was no like, oh, I'm worried about this, but I'm going to give it a try. And then instead it was just always, I almost drowned in this dumb sea tank that is clearly not uh, the ocean. And so now I'm in. And I'm like this, and I'm thinking about this, and now I'm in. Like, for me, there was just no, like, subtle figuring out for herself. Yeah, like, it would have made more sense if she had, because of how they sort of bombarded her with, well, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you went kayaking, but you didn't put anything on on your page about that. Who did you go with? Why haven't you joined any of the groups? It would have made more sense if she had just slowly been like, okay, just to get these people off my back, I'm, you know, here's some updates and why don't I try to join this group? Just to, while she's still sort of skeptical, but there was none. She was just like, okay. And then right. the next time you see her, you're like seeing that she's at a hundred percent rating on her customer service, whatever it is that she does. And she's, you know, in the middle of that little circle graph thing that they had of like you're influencing she's close to the gang of 40 already and it's like that but that was supposed to be the scary part 
Yeah, but we see we don't see how she got there. It's just like one second they're telling her you're not part of the group, you're staying separate. And then the next thing we know, she's like right there in the middle of everything. And everybody knows her and whatever. It just it was weird. There was no build to it. No sense of story transition. It just it just jumps very quickly and abruptly from one thing to the next. And it really is is frustrating. There were there were montages a little bit of her like <laughs> well, at her computer. I mean it's just like the karate kid, you know, he waxes some boards and all of a sudden he can like he's an expert at karate. I mean it's the same thing of you have to compress things down and I think part of it is again you know, a an age group where, you know, being adept with te- technology and being able to manage those things is the expectation. So, so Steve, that, that's what you meant when you said the movie was too late. It should have come out in the year that The Karate Kid came out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> then it would have been like, whoa, this is way advanced, crazy, you know, to expect people to do all right. this. We have higher expectations for our storytelling now than we did in the 80s. I mean, how many of you work with, with people in their in their 20s? I do. And do the, are they... Are the, is it a group that is this entrenched in technology? Not this entrenched. No. I don't know if anybody is this entrenched if they're not a Kardashian. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But I mean, I think there's, you know, I, I see a lot of people this that's like always on the phone, always tweeting on Instagram, all of this. It's always that's part of your that's part of your social engagement with people. But I I do that, too. And I'm not in my 20s. I don't broadcast everything, but I. I'm on Facebook all the time. Right. And, and so you, you manage all of those things and that's part of how you function in society. So if that's the expectation for your job, then that's what you do. I get that. And I get why they did it in this movie. I just think that it would have made more sense for us to see her gradual build from sort of uneasy about all of this to sort of being indoctrinated into it instead of just an instant change. There's no moral compass about Danielson waxing a fence. There is one about the every montage in this film has to do with May either sinking lower or gaining higher, it, but they just treat it like time going by. That's the difference. Well, and that's the thing too. I know we talk a lot, a lot about here that we think a lot was cut, but I, I can't imagine that there was additional stuff that would have uh, led us to believe that the transitions were more real. I think that, you know, the difficulty of this film is that is that the direction that they chose, I think, might have been the only thing they had. And that's why they kind of went this way. At least that's the way it feels to me. And I feel like that was going to be a struggle that he would have had with Emma, uh, no matter how he sliced it. I just feel like she was, uh, she's, she's an interesting actress and I enjoy watching her on screen, but I just didn't fit, I didn't feel she fit here. And I don't know if he would have been able to uh, to get the right performance out of her. I mean, maybe if the script was really tightened up or something, I, you know, I don't know. Is there somebody that you could see instead of her? I, I feel like the person who would have to be would have to be somebody who could kind of play that uh, skeptical side of things, but also like when they drink the Kool Aid, can really like sell sell me that they've kind of gone down this this crazy road, you know? Yeah. Um. I I mean Jennifer Lawrence kind of pops into my head. Um. But uh, you know, I don't know. I I feel like somebody's out there. I'm just not quite sure exactly who it is. And normally I would hate that we were using the cliche "drink the Kool Aid" so much, except for the fact that they actually used it in the film too. Yes. A couple times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys think that the A-list uh, cast or the, you know, I guess the the, the status of the actors may, might have worked against them in this film? For me, absolutely. Especially in the sense that it would have, like Steve pointed out earlier, probably drove the production schedule and got this thing, you know, having to get made quicker than, uh, than it should have been. This has a little bit of uh, reek of passengers 
starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, which was such a huge, huge push and then such a critical disaster. Um, I've seen it. I, I think it has huge problems, but I think it has such a huge critical problem because of the A-list cast. They are definitely held to a higher standard. When you go into this movie... A problem of expectations. Yeah. A problem of expectations, yeah. That you we, we judge movies harsher depending on who's in them and who's behind them. Very much so. I don't think that having someone like Tom Hanks in the sort of limited role he was in hurt the film because he's who he is. I think it actually helped a little bit. Not hurt the film financially, but do you think hurt the film expectationally? No. Really? I think he played this role really well. I think he did a great job with what he was given. I'm not sure if he was given more that was cut or he just went with what he had. Casting someone like Tom Hanks, who the movie-going audience already likes and trusts, is smart for this role because I there's undertones to what they're doing, but you immediately trust Tom Hanks. It's like the opposite of casting Tom Cruise in something and like, you know that guy's not going to die, so why do I care? <laughs> In this movie, he's not going to die. <laughs> Has Tom Cruise ever died on film? No, I don't think so. And it's really frustrating. Yes. Yes, he did. He died a thousand times in Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> in, in Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Right, yep. but awesome. he's still alive at the end of that movie. <laughs> okay, yes. I just think that it actually helped that it was Tom Hanks. It gives you a level of trust that then can be broken down. I just don't think that they broke down the trust very well. We talk about him bringing something to the box office. How was your guys, uh, how were your theaters? Uh, were they filled? Uh, it was me and one other woman. In this oh, wow. wow. How about the rest of you? I went to the late show on, uh, on, on Friday night, but it was a really thin crowd. I was really, um, I, I don't know what I was expecting for this movie, but uh, I felt like I was expecting more. Um, just very, very thin. Yeah, I, I was at a seven o'clock show on Friday, and it was it wasn't packed, but it was it was it was pretty full. It felt like a, a good sized crowd. I didn't I w- wasn't looking around, you know, thinking that there should be more people. It, it felt like a, a typical, you know, mid lane, you know, open opening weekend. In general, I think it's 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 being hurt a lot by the pre-show reviews. Steve, you mentioned Rotten Tomatoes was at like seventeen percent. Is that right? Yeah, wow. and I mean, which is like I don't know why the critics are like just tearing this apart. I mean, The Counselor, which Andy like called an audible and said this movie is horrible. We're not doing this as a film board. Is it like thirty-five <laughs> percent? And Child Forty Four is it like is somewhere in the thirties? And this is at like seventeen or nineteen percent. I mean, really low. Like this is a horrible painful movie to watch and so i walked in expecting like to be angry or hate this movie or ready to walk out yeah and it's nowhere near that for me yes it's there's there's some disappointments to this and there's flaws but i mean 19 percent the critics are just savaging this film for reasons that i do not understand the thing that comes up a lot in the reviews is this you know that it's supposed to be this techno thriller which i don't understand where that expectation's coming from, and maybe again, it's that discrepancy. It's from the trailers. Yeah, that's right, you know, right. since I didn't see trailers, I have no expectations. I'm like, okay, I I did read like the first third of the book, and then I felt like it was spinning its wheels, and I moved on to something else. So the first part of the movie, I'm like, okay, I remember this scene. Okay, I remember this happening. I remember this. All right, it's 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 moving along with the book. Uh, okay, we're we seem to be you know in in good territory here. So I you know had no preconceived notions of, you know, some like seat of my edge of my seat, you know, suspenseful thriller. 
I would like to, I mean, I didn't get a chance to see the film, but um, I would like to say still, I think the pedigree goes against it. Dave Eggers. Which one are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about, um, what movie are you guys talking about? I don't know. I just can't. <laughs> the Circle. I mean, the, the author, circle. the author, the director, and the cast is beloved. And when it, do- when it doesn't become a Oscar movie with that kind of stuff, I think that really hurts it. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, it's a, it's a thing of expectations. I yeah. agree. Um, and I think that's kind of hitting it on all sides. Um, when you said I didn't get to see the film, I didn't know what you were talking about. I'm, I was making a joke that I actually didn't get to see Circle, but I love talking and I love you guys. <laughs> it sounds it sounds really disappointing, uh, but I'm going to I think I can see it tomorrow. I don't know. I have to see Boss Baby. What are you guys talking about? Boss Baby is actually really good. I've heard you. that. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed um, it, too. <laughs> All right, first first shot, so, last uh, shot, boss baby. <laughs> no, so um, so I I'm kind of anxious to get to the uh, to the next part of our show here. Are there other elements about the film that you guys would like to discuss? You know, I just I, I had one uh, uh, shot that or one thing I wanted to note about the cinematography that uh, just popped into my head was I really did actually enjoy the shots when she was on the stage and they were watching stuff on the giant screen behind her. Uh, mainly, I think it was when they were. Uh, everybody was kind of trying to pursue the the woman and then later Mercer. And it, it just it, it ended up creating a really interesting perspective. I'm not sure if it came from the director or the cinematographer, but you had this shot of what was going on, but then you also had her little figure actually in your frame. So it kind of threw you. It's like, oh, I'm not actually just watching you know this this footage of this woman being, uh, chased and captured. I'm actually watching the audience watch Emma watch this thing on the screen. That was actually a, a, a kind of an interesting uh, little uh, bit of the cinematography that I enjoyed. It's a smart detail because that's how it would go. Because what's the point of doing these things if you're not being watched? So you yeah, want to watch exactly. the, the watchers. And I think there's a fair amount of those fun type, interesting camera shots in the film. It's really tough to see them though when the story is so. It feels like it's hacked to bits. I think I agree with that. When I say I'm anxious to get to the next part of our show, it's because of all the stuff we've been talking about. I'm really interested to hear how we're going to rank it. Flick chart the circle. Right. So you didn't like the movie. <laughs> I did not I like this movie. Sorry. Head on over to <laughs> www.flickchart.com slash TNR film board for our stacked rankings of the movies that we watch here on the film board to see how these things measure up. And I am nervous about where this is going to go uh, just because of what we've been talking about here. But, uh, where do we start the rankings, Andy? All right, first up, we have The Circle, or uh, right back to you, Tommy, The Hobbit, The Desolation <laughs> of Smaug. That's funny. Predetermined. Uh, yeah, The Circle. I'm totally, the circle. I'm totally Smaug. I'm Circle, too. Oh, you guys. Seriously. I'm oh. very loyal to Middle Earth, so I'm going to pick The Hobbit. Steve? <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Is, are we tied? Down to you, Steve. Yeah, it's two to two. Okay, because Tommy picked... Circle because he circle. just he just can't do with all the proper nouns. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been a long time since I've seen that, and it was the best of the three. But I'm gonna go with the circle. Wait, what? which which one is which it? One? That's the second it's the one. one. It's, it's the second one. Yeah. It's the dragon. All right, yeah. yeah, that was a good dragon. So, so Steve, you went with the circle. Yeah, I went with the circle. Yeah. All right. Oh, you fools. All right, The Circle or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Was that the first or the second? This was the second. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The one that made me sad. I'm Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I am too. Uh, Yeah, apes. Let's say apes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no. <Nope>. Okay. <laughs> 
the circle or looper? Looper. 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 Looper, hands down. Was that the sequel? Was that everybody? No, but I, it, did, it doesn't matter, so. <laughs> well, I'm curious, though. I, looper, I, I, hands you down. You say the circle over looper? I don't know, because I, I heard all this hype about looper, and I, it's, it, I have some problems with it. It just seems like it falls short somewhere. I think I would, would pick it over the circle, but it's going to be close, because the looper just doesn't come together the way that I feel like it really should. This next one is interesting. The Circle or Snowden? Oh. Ooh. I have to disdain. I will say Snowden. I'm going to say The Circle. Abstain, sorry. You have, uh, disdain? <laughs> disdain. I, I, <laughs> I forgot how words work. I have to abstain. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, so I have to abstain. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Hey, Jamie, want to come over and watch Snowden? <laughs> <laughs> All right. If only I still lived in L.A., Tommy. The next real film, Tinder. I don't know what this is. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Snowden. Oh, good. All right. And JJ, you said Snowden, right? No, I said The Circle. Oh, you said The Circle. Oh. The Circle or Side Effects? Ooh, side Effects. Side Effects, side effects for me. Yeah, Side, side effects. effects. I haven't seen that either. Is that Channing Tatum? Yes. yes. Yeah, I yes. haven't seen that. All right, guys. Well, that puts uh, the circle at number twenty-nine out of fifty-seven. Much higher than where, it what? Be. Where? Where? What's right above it and below it? Uh, it is actually right uh, below the finest hours. Oh, oh no! Right, <laughs> yep, and right above the Hobbit: The Desolation. Oh Star. no! <laughs> chart, what have you done to us? You've made Wait, us fools. was the finest hours not good? I haven't seen that. It was not good. It was not. Oh, good. I like Chris Pine. Yeah, well, yeah, it was great, it was fine. Sorry. I didn't think it was as bad as these guys. Did. <laughs> oh, Flipchart, I'm so embarrassed. Andy liked it just like she did. Just like she did. Well, I can't call talk to my. So parents we're just now. we're just blocking all of the ADR movies right in the same. Yes, we area. are. <laughs> wow. Okay, so now Letterbox. So Letterbox, we do a five star ranking, but you can do half stars. For me, for this movie, it's a three and a half. Wow. Okay. I would give it a three. Uh, this is Steve. I give it a three and a half also. This is Steve. I give it a two and a half. Oh, Foster. <laughs> Sorry. Bad dog. No, this is Tommy. Two and a half. Started off right, great. Got, I, I was really excited for a while for this movie. You guys are very generous. I gave it a one. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Now we know. Yeah. That's why you exactly. hate 29. Exactly. Numbers. That gives it an average of 2.7. Yeah, well, a little bit over half. Yeah. It's a totally middling movie. I think yeah, that's totally it's fair. It's not a yeah, disaster. Fair. Yeah. So uh, where do we go from here? Next month, these guys are going to make me go see the new Alien movie, which is Yay! Alien. <laughs> I have Comes a comment out. about this, sir. What is your comment? You have only seen Prometheus? Yeah. So I don't like scary movies like at all fear is not an emotion that i choose to entertain too often and so yeah so i've only seen prometheus and that's because they talked about it on this show uh and i've avoided the other films because i particularly don't want to be scared and i'm even scared of like the movie stand-up of alien covenant so i don't know what i'm gonna do i would just highly recommend alien because it's one of the best movies of all time see and these these guys think that too right the first alien absolutely the second one for I, me. But, but what, I, what we were discussing is that it's actually going to be really interesting because technically J.J. is now going to be seeing these movies in chronological order, whereas the rest of us have the benefit of having seen the other ones. So oh, it actually could potentially bring him a, mm. an interesting perspective on it. So right. I'm kind of curious to see. And we had the discussion and we decided that I shouldn't do the like 
research ahead of time and watch those other scary movies, which I loved because I don't really want to watch them. Um, <laughs> and because I'm going through it this way, which is kind of like your podcast, Jamie. That's true. We're kind of doing unspoiled JJ on the <laughs> alien. Unspoiled alien. What are all these aliens about? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys think that Covenant is going to directly connect to Alien? No. I think it will. Unless they're planning another sequel, which I haven't heard. Well, maybe they'll just drop a Rogue One in there. Ridley Scott said that he's ready to make five more Alien films. But granted, oh Ridley God. Scott what? is also old and insane, but also very <laughs> prolific. So who knows? But where but. do they go? I mean, that's I guess that's my point. So, And we'll be talking about this next month because, uh, I mean, that's really interesting to me about the whole chronology of films that I haven't seen. Um, and I didn't hate Prometheus as much as all these guys did on the film board. So <laughs> it's the I worst. actually really, yeah. I enjoyed Prometheus. So no, you I'm didn't. You. How I dare you? Sh- you shut your mouth. <laughs> I did. I'm going to shut my mouth. I did too. So so it'll be interesting to see where we all sit on that one. And that comes out on May 19th. So we'll be doing the show. You'll be able to pick up the show uh, in your podcast subscriptions in the weekend after that. Andy, what series are we running on the Next Real Mothership show right now? Well, interestingly, uh, that you guys also did uh, Colonia, going back to that, uh, because we are doing a series of films by Pablo Lorraine, who uh, did films that all took place during the Pinochet dictatorship in Chile. So uh, we're about to talk about the second one of those, Postmortem. That's awesome. Yeah, and Colonia was actually a really interesting movie. Um, I, you know, you compare it to The Circle, you you see uh, a lot of what Emma Watson is doing in her career right now. I I think Colonia is a movie to go out and definitely pick up on, where did we see it, Steve? Is it on uh, on Netflix Netflix right now? It's streaming Netflix. on Netflix, yes. Everyone can check it out and then listen to our trailer rewind on it. So, uh, Jamie, it's been awesome talking with you about this movie, even though it was only a 2.7 <laughs> in our average. I had a good where time. Can people, where can people go and find your uh, podcasts on Unspoiled? You can find The Constant and Undeclared Band of Brothers on iTunes, patreon.com slash unspoiled, or unspoiledpodcast.com, and stream it or download it from either one of those places. For Patreon, you have to be a patron. Would you uh, Would you be willing to come and sit with us again and chat about movies? Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. It was great having you. Pick a better movie. All you other thugs are fantastic as well. Thanks for joining us tonight. Tommy Handsome. Hello. Oh, have no, we no, no, started no. already? Oh, yes. okay. Good, good night. <laughs> good night, Andy Nelson. Nighty night. See you soon, Steve Sarmento. I'll see you online. <laughs> Everyone catching this through your speakers, thank you so much for listening. Drop a dollar for us on Patreon so we can keep chatting with you like this, and you can also help by sending us a rating or a review or a question or any kind of interaction because we love that this circle keeps on growing. Oh, oh boy. Till next. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here forever. This is where I want to live. (laughs) On the internet. (laughs) Just you and me and Steve. This is my new island. Okay, so we have to come up with rules. I think I should be head of internet. Steve, what do you want to be? Steve, I'm the head of internet. What do you want to be? No, because, well, uh, maybe, JJ, what do you want to be? 
Okay, so the host of the internet, the president of the internet, and the or the head of the internet, and the king of the... Wait, are you above me, Steve? Damn it. This meeting of the internet kingdom is adjourned. Goodbye, my fellow subjects. Uh, what's, a, what's a song that I should sing for you? Oh, that song for Moana. What's that? Uh, I cling to you. No, you make me stronger. I don't know how the song goes. Sorry, gotta get back to you. Okay, bye. <laughs>